Hello, I'm Persia and this is Eleven Again. Eleven Again is a show about what people were obsessed with as kids. I've been asking my friends about the things that they could not stop reading or watching or playing with or talking about or thinking about, whatever it is. Today, I am talking to my friend Alana about Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, a video game that originally came out in the early 2000s and then was re-released on a couple of other platforms, including the Nintendo 3DS, which is what we played it on. I think there's something to be said about the earliest video games people play and how it has an effect on their feelings about that game and their video game habits in general. You first played it when you were like a kid in like 2000. Yeah, I've actually, I was realizing I've played it. Oh, so are we recording right now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I've been playing, I've played Majora's Mask, I think on three different platforms. Like, so we got it on N64 and I remember it, it had a gold cartridge. It was like the only cartridge I had that wasn't that horrible blocky gray. And I just like thought it was so special. And so that's when I first played it. And I had that for years. And then I think we had, it had to have been a GameCube and they released it as like a special standalone disc, almost as like a, like, I think it was like a reward for buying like, I don't know if it was Twilight Princess or something, but it was basically just like a bonus. And obviously that I was obsessed with. So I played it a ton on GameCube and then they finally re-released it for the 3DS, maybe in like 2012 or 2013. And that's where I've like played it ever since. I don't think I've played it honestly in about five years, like since that around when that came out. But yeah, 3DS is is the most recent platform I've played on. I didn't know that they came out with it for GameCube because I feel like GameCube for me was like weirdly the console. Like I grew up on GameCube mostly. Right, right. Which is like, it's just such a weird, I mean, it's weird looking. It's like a funny thing to be like, this is what I played video games on. Totally. It was like really easy to draw, <laughs> like unlike the N64 or even really the 3DS. Um, no, I, I honestly think it's funny because I feel like so many of my childhood memories are about the N64, but I actually think I've sort of inceptioned myself and like most of the games me and my siblings played were actually on the GameCube. Like just temporally that makes the most sense and when I think about the games we were playing but it's like tough to say and you know I think my parents have gotten rid of all that stuff like much to our chagrin but also I think if I were to try to play them again like I've become such a spoiled brat like I was even thinking that like you know picking up my 3ds to to replay Majora's Mask for the show like I feel like I'm gonna be like oh my god the quality of life improvements aren't the same as they are on like my switch or like my ps4 or whatever like I, I think I'm sort of a princess when it comes to going back to old consoles and having to like relearn the clunkiness of them if that makes sense no I think I'm probably the same way I was so happy when Pikmin came out on the switch because I was like finally I don't have to play Pikmin on the GameCube <laughs> right exactly <laughs> um how many siblings do you have I have two siblings I have a little brother and a little sister my sister is three years younger than me and my brother is like seven years younger than me um and Zelda was kind of one of the few pop culture sort of properties, I guess, that we could really all bond over together. Like one of us would play while the others watched was kind of the 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 way we handled that. Um, and I guess I think the idea was that we would like switch off or whatever, but I, I think I was probably really seizing control of the gameplay at that point, especially as the oldest kid. Yeah, I'm so interested because I think so much of my video game playing was trickle down because I mm. I had all older siblings until I was eight when my younger brother was born. Mm -hmm. So I'm like fascinated by an, an oldest sibling. You're the you're the trendsetter. So you were like, we're getting Majora's <laughs> Mask. I've decided it's it's me and I'm in charge. So I was trying to kind of remember the chronology of how I even ended up playing Majora's Mask. Because, like, we, I mean, we were a real Nintendo family. Like, I did not even, I think, touch a PlayStation controller probably until, I want to say, college even. But, you know, we sort of had the the, the litany of Nintendo consoles. Um, and I think it all began because I had a neighbor growing up who became one of my best friends named Ben and he was just like a big gamer. I think his mom was Japanese and his, his grandparents were Japanese so he always sort of had access to games coming out of Japan and sort of knew about them first um, and so he got Ocarina of Time really early. Obviously like before long before we were 11. I'm trying to remember when Ocarina of Time came out but I think Majora came out in 2000 which was when I was 10 but anyway so I remember going over to his house and like sitting on like the carpeted floor of his den you know like a very 90s <laughs> proposition and just watching him play Ocarina and thinking it was just like the most magical weird wonderful thing I imagine I think at that point I had already had 
a Game Boy Color. You know, I think I played Pokemon. Like I played computer games. I sort of had, I don't know what you would call like a 2D understanding of video games. And I liked them. But Ocarina of Time was really the first time I was like, oh, this is like a movie. This is like an immersive world. This is something that I can barely understand. And so I would just like watch Ben play for hours. He was really kind. Like he would offer to let me play, but I actually found it really, really difficult. And I still maintain that Ocarina of Time is really fucking hard. Uh, but I, and, and we got it. And I think I sort of just messed around with it with my siblings a little bit and never really got that far and was just kind of frustrated. But I remember Majora's Mask coming out and being like, oh, this is what I want out of a game. Because it's it's a lot shorter than Ocarina of Time. It's um, like, I actually don't even know if hour-wise it's shorter, but there's only four dungeons as opposed to like a bajillion or seven or however many. And, and it just had a lot more like emotional resonance for me. Like it was something that even as a kid, I really recognized as being sort of dark and sad and about kind of, I don't think, I would have known the word for nostalgia or for like missing times past, but like, I don't know, something really struck me emotionally about it when we got it. And so I just played that game nonstop, Percy. Like, I think I probably beat Majora's Mask maybe five times before I beat Ocarina of Time in my life, which is just like kind of a wild way to approach those games, given that it's like just very clearly a sequel or a spinoff or sort of a parallel world to that first game. But I don't know, it just, it, it really was my first favorite game and the thing that made me realize it's like what a game could be. My experience in a Zelda game is like I almost never finish them, but you just go and you spend time in the world more than anything. Right, right. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of expect that when we play now, I mean, maybe just from a time constraints perspective, but also I think like vibe wise, what I want out of a game and certainly kind of what I want out of a Zelda game after getting so immersed in Breath of the Wild, which I didn't do until earlier this year, um, actually in quarantine, which is crazy, is I think I am going to want to sort of just like dip in and run around and like talk to my favorite side characters. Because I mean, that was the other thing that really appealed to me about Majora's Mask. And, and you, you haven't played previously, have you? No, I've never played Majora's Mask. Yeah. And had you played Ocarina of Time or like the earlier Zelda games? Yeah, I we had Ocarina of Time. I never played mm-hmm. that that much, kind of similar to you. I was also a little yeah. younger. I was pretty young when it came out right so it was definitely like a little bit beyond my grasp Mm -hmm. i played a lot of wind waker oh fascinating because wind waker is one that i actually feel like i sort of age-wise missed out on and again i know that there are plenty of people exactly my age for whom wind waker is like their favorite game but like it almost came at a time when i was a little too old maybe to like pick that up like i was looking for something maybe a little harder a little more strategic but like too early like if it had come out now or even five years ago I think I would have been obsessed with it like it it just sort of fell in that weird crack that I think some pop culture does when you're just like not the exact right age for it absolutely yeah but I for me it was like perfect timing yeah so yeah I don't even remember when Wind Waker came out I know I actually wish I had like a I'm I'm gonna look this up I want like a chronology of when all these games came out because I want to say Ocarina of Time was like mid 90s right um yeah, ni- okay, that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ocarina of Time was 1998, Majora's Mask was 2000. Yeah. Oh yeah, so Wind Waker was 2002. Okay, so they were releasing these on a pretty tight clip. And like, it's funny, you're talking about sort of the time investment and like, I cannot express to you, Perseo, what an, like, an obsessive consumer of culture I was as a kid. And I think I am still now, but it's it's sort of, it, it lives in different places. Like if I liked something as a kid, I would just revisit it over and over and over and over again. Like, I think I read the first Harry Potter book, no joke, like a hundred times. Like I would listen to audiobooks that I was obsessed with to the point where I would memorize each of the beats. Like any game I loved, I would play constantly. Like I would replay over and over again. And now I don't do that anymore. Like, and maybe it's just because I'm like aware of there being more and better stuff out there. Like I don't want to spend all my time on that. But like, I do still get really obsessive. Like I said, like, you know, the games that I've played in quarantine, I actually have a piece coming out about this um, kind of soon. I've played 1200 hours of video games in quarantine, which like is a lot that actually breaks down to like 50 days, I think, which is actually psycho, but also what else am I going to do? And like, yeah, it's not unusual for me to put 300 hours into one game, which I guess maybe if you like break that down into 2000 terms was just how many times I played Majora's Mask end to end or whatever. (laughs) But like, I don't know. It's like, if I like something, I just want to be in in it, like constantly. Like, honestly, I think to the detriment of like some other parts of my life, but it's really brought me a lot of joy. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. Could you actually briefly say like what it is you do for work? 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. So I'm an editor at Vox.com. Vox with a V. Uh, I don't know if the recording will pick up that it is not an F, which people sometimes hear at like crowded parties back when we used to go to those. And I am an editor specifically at this one section called The Goods, which focuses basically on how and why we buy things. It's sort of consumerism, culture, business, all that rolled together. Um, it's a really fun job. I've been there for a few years now. Um, and I've just sort of been in digital media basically my entire career. And I've also written two books, both sort of with a like crafty knitting bent. Um, the first is called The Curse of the Boyfriend Sweater, Essays on Crafting. And then the, the one that just came out is called Knit a Hat, which I like to think of as like a very declarative statement, like knit a hat or else. And, and a lot of my career has spent sort of like, like I've never been a games journalist per se, but I've spent a lot of time at various jobs kind of helping shape the coverage of what gaming can look like. Um, and I've, I've written a lot of personal essays in particular about what certain games have meant to me. Um, and they, they all basically boil down to like, I am an anxious person who really wants control and this game helped me achieve it or let go of it in X, Y, and Z ways. Um, and like, spoiler alert, Majora's Mask, I think is exactly that for me. And, and maybe was actually the first game that really kind of gave me a blueprint for that and like what a game could do for you, like mentally. I think it's just two things precisely, which is, of course, that sort of obsessive itch in people's brains that I think is almost at its peak around, you know, middle school, 11, 12, mm. you know, that age. I mean, that's really what the show is about and why we do that and, and, and how that affects us. So like, and some people do it and some people don't, though, I you know, there's a range to it. And I think a lot of it does have to do with the anxiety of being a kid. Yes. And of sort of not knowing exactly who you are or like where to put your feelings. Like, I feel like I just had all these messy, big, scary feelings. Like, you know, I, I was I was emotional. I was I would stay home from school because I was nervous about things like, you know, again, all of this is fairly par for the course, I'm sure for a lot of kids. But I, I found it really cathartic and really useful not just with games, certainly with some TV shows, absolutely with books. I'd say books were sort of the first container for those feelings, but that's definitely kind of transmuted to games. And, and it's funny because like, I've always played games. Like I've always, you know, had, when I was in college, I brought my 3DS, like that, that kind of thing. But obviously it, it ebbs and flows throughout your life. And it's really only this past couple of years that I've, I've really taken up games again with such a vengeance. And, and in a way that feels almost, I don't want to say permanent, like life changes, but like, I kind of can't imagine now what my life would look like if I didn't have games as this outlet. And that's been a really interesting shift to sort of watch in myself. Like, I almost feel like I'm, I'm a horseshoe shape in terms of my emotional development, where like, I feel a lot closer at 30 to who I was at 11 than I do to who I was when I was like 18 or 20, if that makes sense, at least in terms of what I seek out. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about sort of coming back into gaming or like reclaiming gaming, if that makes sense. Just in terms of like, I think the feeling that I have always had about video games is I would never ever include video games as part of like my personality, as part of my character sheet in the way mm. of saying like, I'm a gamer. <laughs> because... And I'm sure a lot of people have this feeling because there's such a weird connotation to that. Right, right. Honestly, Persia, there's kind of no way to talk about this without sounding like a weird fangirl. But I do think that in Into the Aether, you know, Brendan and Steven's podcast and your, I think, co- your sister show, brother show on your network. Yeah, exactly. My cousin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really did help me get a blueprint for sort of what it could be to be someone who was obsessive and excited about games without being like the Mountain Dew swilling like Dorito powder finger crust you know like <laughs> like like kind of that the sort of you know gamer gate quote-unquote era of of gamer and and sort of this this gatekeeping sensation of like you're just a girl who's playing these games because you like the feelings and like realizing that that was just such a tired and outmoded way of thinking about this stuff. Um, but it took me time. Like, you know, so when I was back at BuzzFeed, which was a previous job of mine, um, I would write sort of these, you know, essays and, and almost like personal reviews of games. They were certainly not like BuzzFeed's review of the new Pokemon. It was sort of like, here's what I experienced as someone who's been playing the franchise for 20 years, blah, blah, blah. It's like constantly the comments would be like, um, actually, like you got Professor Oak's relationship wrong. And th so therefore, like, you don't, you're not qualified to say anything. <laughs> and like, 
that would bother me, but it also kind of thickened my skin where I was like, oh, you're a loser. Like, like you have said this to me. And I was lucky that like, you know, nothing worse happened. Like I have friends who are women in, you know, games journalism in the games industry who like just routinely have to lock their Twitters down. And like, you know, I was lucky to just have it confined to comment sections, but it, all of that did kind of coalesce to make me be like, fuck it, who cares? <laughs> like, like yeah. you know, this is something that brings me joy. Um, I, I like having these conversations with people. Yeah. And the, the podcast and sort of the subsequent discord, like shout out to that. It was just great for making me realize like, oh, there are lots of just like people who love to geek out about this stuff, but who are also like normal and not gatekeepers about it so i think that that was really helpful and also just like games have gotten so goddamn good like like i got a switch back in 2017 you know right when it came out and i actually got breath of the wild then and like kind of didn't love it at the time like i was really overwhelmed by it frankly like i don't think i'd ever played a true open world game before and i like i wanted more of a narrative like you would get in majora's mask or ocarina of time where it would be like a you know little fairy telling you like you have to go do this thing right now or else you can't do anything else like not having that was stressful to me and then I think as I got older and sort of started to care less about like winning a game or completing a game um just sort of being in the game as you were saying earlier like getting the vibe of it I got a lot more comfortable with just like okay maybe you'll never beat this thing maybe you'll just wander around in it forever and of course my like obsessive brain then kicked in and was like nope we're gonna get all the shrines and like beat the entire <laughs> goddamn thing but like almost giving myself the permission to not be perfect at something or not need it to be like a to b to all the way to z was really liberating and made me sort of think of games quite differently and like what they could be yeah I think it's also just, and this is personal to me, but in some ways, I think like iOS games Mm. did a lot for me, especially when I started, like when I was living in New York and I was commuting. Right. I just started playing a lot of games that were collecting or like character bait. I don't know what Mm. the word is. There is a specific word. It's like not role playing, but it's essentially where you just like get materials to like buy and customize characters and then like sure those characters might like yeah, fight battles. Yeah, yeah but it's mostly about the fact that you just like get the characters that you want and you get them to look the way you want there's like a star wars game like that there's right even, like, a fi- there's a the fire, fire emblem, emblem yeah game. there's there's fire emblem heroes there's which fire I, emblem heroes yeah 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 I, and hyrule i think hyrule warriors is kind of like that but i might be wrong i don't really play those games but i totally know what you're talking about and right and that idea of collecting and of like amassing the thing you want is so appealing I mean, yeah, I mean, Animal Crossing has a lot to do with that as well. And I think it's like collecting. I love collecting. I love gathering. (laughs) And like that plus strategy games like Civ 5 being my like, let's stop thinking game. Mm -hmm. Because of, again, like what seemed to be the public reflection of being into those kinds of games is like, well, that's not actually playing video games. But then you realize like, I'm actually going to games for a reason. Like this helps me calm down. Totally. And that that's okay. Right. And you're getting a thing out of games that might be different than that, but we're still just using games to cope with like a thing that we have going on. No, and you're totally right, Percy. And that also reminds me that like a huge swath of my gaming life was computer games. Like I played The Sims nonstop um like the sims was and and i played you know age of empires age of mythology we were definitely a roller coaster tycoon family like and all of those games do sort of share that dna right like of of this like you're amassing resources you're sort of making them (laughs) exactly and you're sort of like making a world look the way you want it to even if the end goal is to then like lay siege to the macedonians or whatever like i don't know i think that the sims was so crucial to me in that way also i guess probably was crucial in making me realize that like you don't have to win every game because you actually can't win that game you know like (laughs) there is there is no end goal i still occasionally play the sims 2 i have it on my old macbook but i have a family in there that's like seven or eight generations oh my god (laughs) and like it's it's literally first year the most like normal family that's probably ever existed on the sims like i don't cheat i don't i don't make them have scandals like i it's really sort of this up by your bootstraps family where it's like the kids are finally off to college and like a single mom has like made it work despite the odds and like i just love setting my own like weird little parameters like that yeah I I think that those games were probably really influential in a way I don't totally even appreciate for sort of unlocking my idea because I also think I differentiated as a child between video games and computer games which in retrospect is is a weird line to draw but I think it's like 
well, one happens on the TV and one happens in the family room on the computer, you know, like sort of location was important then at a time when obviously now games are so much more portable and you can play across platforms and, you know, you can play with other people, which was obviously like a really novel concept in 2000 when I was playing this like weird medieval MMORPG. <laughs> like yeah. it's interesting how, I don't know if there's more options now. I mean, obviously there are, or if I just like was completely blind to them at the time, but it definitely feels like sort of eating the same comfort food all your life and then being like, oh my God, I can go to a buffet. Like this is rad. <laughs> um, so before we both go and play the video game, could you give like a brief description of what the plot is for Medora's Mask? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it sort of exists in this weird parallel or perpendicular or oblique part of Zelda lore, which is already sort of a famously complicated and hard to map canon that I, I can't even pretend to have like a full grasp on. But basically, I think the idea is that it takes place after the events of Ocarina of Time or sort of in parallel to the events of Ocarina of Time, such that basically Link, you know, the protagonist is, is sort of stuck in this strange land. He is not in Hyrule. He has lost contact with the princess, you know, Navi is not around. Like he, he doesn't have his like his usual sort of support systems. But basically he shows up in this in this town that's very sort of focused around clocks and time. And and the whole the whole game is really a great deal about time and about and about seasonality and sort of the passing of time. And essentially, long story short, you are uh, turned into a creature that you do not want to be. Um, you have until the end of a three-day, 72-hour cycle to uh, confront sort of the trickster who who stole your horse, who turned you into this creature, um, and, and become yourself again. Uh, and so, again, it's, it's a very sort of like side plot, essentially, to, to the events of previous games. Um, it's not Ganondorf, you know, it's not this sort of singular evil. In fact, it, it's really just kind of this one sad bad guy who might not even be that bad, who's really kind of run amok and, and has turned things awful. And once you sort of complete that first leg of the journey, once you get yourself turned back into a human, you know, you can recover your horse, you can get, you know, you get your ocarina, uh, all kinds of things. That's when sort of the real events of the game unfold. And you have to sort of go around to these different regions um, and sort of free them from these these various curses or, or sort of, you know, bad sort of juju they've been put under. Um, and, and so that's kind of the main plot of the game. It's, it's separated among these four dungeons and the way it's organized is interesting where you have these like quote unquote three day swaths of time there's the first day the second day the third day and on the third day the moon falls <laughs> and so you're always trying to beat beat that to the punch um and whenever you get to the end of a cycle or decide that you want to save the game or whatever you actually have to go back to the start of that cycle and so that was very appealing to me as a kid this idea of like starting over and over and over again and like the people in the town are always doing the same thing on day one you know the like you can only get to certain places on day two. And so you sort of memorize the grooves and the rhythm of this of this world in a way that's really, it's a very sinister and very sort of like ominous world in a lot of ways, but it's also really, really comforting. And ultimately you're sort of trying to defeat this, this force. But that almost feels beside the point because there's also this really, really strong side quest mechanic where you are collecting other masks besides, you know, the titular Majora's mask. And a lot of them are optional. Um, but I think that the most compelling gameplay is within those side quests because you're really getting to know a lot of, you know, the townspeople and, and sort of solving problems for folks and getting to sort of delve deeper into what I think to me had always seemed like, you know, NPCs or people that you really couldn't interact with in previous clunkier games that I'd played, all of a sudden you could have these like kind of in-depth relationships. And so so that's sort of the the fabric of the game is that there's sort of the large outer circle of you trying to beat these dungeons and then sort of the the tighter inner circle of doing all these side quests all within this uh, you know, three-day cycle of trying to prevent the moon from falling. So it's it's very weird. It's very compelling. I am nervous almost to play it again after maybe five years of not just to like like I hope I love it the same amount or at least I hope I still can take away some things that I used to take away from it and not just like get annoyed at the buttons or whatever or the tininess of the screen like I hope that that kind of melts away and I I, I fingers crossed that it will yeah <laughs> I hope so too it sounds really like <laughs> singular as video games go I mean there are many games that have I think vibes that are like Majora's Mask that sort of like yearning and that that darkness mixed with with real knowingness and real sort of 
intimacy but like this to me is just like the 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 cherry like this is just the best one so I'm, I'm i'm excited to do it again all right sounds good well i'll we'll, we'll check in with each other and see how the progress yeah is going. that sounds good How far did you get last night? I, I also got to Snowhead as well. Um, but also I will say, so I I probably spent maybe 10 or 12 hours playing, which like belies the fact that I haven't actually gotten that far because I just love the side quests in this game so much and just did so many of them. And so I just like, I think I've had like seven or eight three-day cycles just like trying to get masks and like trying to like fulfill people's requests and stuff so that was like kind of where I put the bulk of my gameplay I would say I think that is actually smart I think it's because because it was my first time playing the game I was very Mm -hmm. focused on like doing the main stuff first of all I used a guide throughout the whole thing I looked oh totally so much stuff up this is like not like this and Ocarina of Time you like kind of can't intuit there's like so much like random shit where it's like oh actually you had to talk to that person at like 2 p.m on the second day or else like you can't do anything else you know I think other like newer games like Breath of the Wild even just sort of like tells you how to play it so much more I feel the exact same way I was like I don't think I'd be able to get literally anywhere in this game without a guide, mm-hmm. especially because it's one thing to like have trouble with the game or not know where to go. And it's another thing to not know where to go when you have a time limit all the time. Right, exactly. <laughs> so like, I just like was constantly stressed that I can't just like putz around trying to figure out where to go or who to talk to. I was constantly like, oh my God, just tell me what the next thing I need to do is I don't have the fucking time. Wait, did you, Percy, did you um, slow down time or did you do it in the real, like, really fast one? Well, l- let's go back to the start. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're like getting into the it. The first day I open the game and I'm like so excited to play the game. And first of all, I'm like not super familiar with the Nintendo 3DS. Mm-hmm. And I open the game. I can't figure out how to save the game. I can't figure <laughs> out like where to go. I like panic. And I can't, I don't have enough money to buy the map for the town. So I keep on getting lost in like clock town. I just like don't know where I am. And I just like get really overwhelmed. And I just closed the 3DS (laughs) and just put it down. And I was like, I'll figure it out later. And then I came back to it and I didn't realize that the clock had been running the whole time, even with it closed. Or maybe I'd left it open. Anyway, I came back to it and it was like, you let three days pass, like the moon fell on the town and like everyone died. And I was like, no! Literally the first first run through completely no, fucked it. I almost think that's like the healthy way to approach it. I actually, I wrote an essay about this maybe like five or six years ago when it first got ported to the 3DS um, about like I was having this really anxious period in my life and like just feeling really just like frazzled and awful. And so I like let myself die. Like, I let the moon fall just to see what would happen and just to like basically like let the thing that I was scared of and that I was staving off happen, which like I have actually often found is like a good sort of workaround for my anxiety, like gaming it out, being like, okay, what if you get fired and dumped and have a medical issue? Like what then? You know, like like let's just take this to its natural conclusion. Um, so I did that, but that was after I'd probably played the game like six or seven times, not the very first time I picked it up. <laughs> I guess you're right. Like I came back to it and I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> get your ass in gear. First of all, just like look up what you're confused about. Yeah. <laughs> Found the save point. It just like took me a while to get used to everything. So totally. eventually I did go like talk to the scarecrow who <laughs> was doing his little dance and like telling me how to slow down time and stuff. And I was like, oh, I can just make it slower. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in the game that feels like a cheat. It's like they set up all these really difficult parameters and then they also give you the cheats straight up. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. And which is nice and also sort of weird. I was like, can I, am I allowed? I was like, at first I was like, maybe I'm only allowed <laughs> to do slow time, like part of the time or am I, or does it drain magic? Or like, I was like, what's the downside to slowing down time? Why wouldn't I always be slowing down time? <laughs> so like there was stuff like that, that I, like you said, I don't, I honestly don't think the game is very intuitive no i don't think it is and the interesting thing actually is hearing you say this is that the 3ds port is like 
actually a lot more user-friendly than the N64 or GameCube versions. Like the little save spots, the owls, that was like only the ones that you could fly to existed in the old game. You could save, but it only like saved once. Like it's not like then you could go back to it over and over again. Like you basically could only save by like permanently by turning back time, which was like so frustrating and so weird. Um, So there, there there are like things like that. And like some stuff is in like different locations. Like it's been interesting playing this and being like, oh, I actually remember this being like even harder and more fucked up. Like they at least tried to like smooth some bumps out. So I think what I wanted to say also is that I think the game probably is better if you're doing mostly side quests like I can Mm -hmm. every time I would fall into a side quest just because the guide was like you should get this mask like the like the bunny hood yes the bunny hood rules I think it's the best mask in the game (laughs) right when you go to the when the game was like okay get this mask it'll help you like essentially through every single other task you do go to this farm that like no one has told you exists or like you don't really have any reason to go but like go and then play the specific song to get like little chickens to march around with you and grow up and then the guy who who's sitting at the farm will be like so happy that his chickens are grown up or his roosters whatever they are that he like gives you a bunny mask and I was like never in a million years like when why how would I have known to do this but it's like so sweet and so charming it is. And like, I mean, I will tell you, like, I, I have just been having a blast playing it again. And like, even though I probably only got like, you know, a quarter or a third of the way in, like, I think I'm going to play it all the way through, Um, which is not actually, frankly, what I expected when we like set ourselves this challenge, you know, like, like I have other games to play. And I was going to say I have other things to do. I don't have other things to do. I just have other <laughs> games to play. But like, it's right. It's that sort of that pathos and like the the sort of like sad sweetness that pervades especially the side quests and like the townspeople is like really arresting and like hasn't faded with time like I I kind of was expecting this to feel a lot clunkier than it does like compared to you know games that came out within the last 20 years or whatever like like I think I was expecting just a lot more of like caricatures almost or sort of like oh like this is like the sketch version of the much more fully fleshed out stuff you see in a breath of the wild or in like indie games now and like that has not been the case like some of the dialogue is just like absolutely heartbreaking so many of the tasks you're doing are right about just like reassuring people or like making things very slightly better for them like kind of before they are about to die like because that's like i kind of forgot the degree to which this entire game is literally about the fact that like this world is going to end in 72 hours. And like some people have come to terms with that, but like a lot of them haven't and sort of just like navigating that. And like, right. Like even what you're saying, the bunnyhood side quest, like Grog or whatever his name is, is just like, well, I, I'm not sa- I'm not scared to die, but like my one regret is that my chickens haven't grown up yet. And it's like, oh my God, like, like, yes, of course I'll help your chickens grow up. But also like, do we need to like therapize this? Like, this is really dark. <laughs> but yeah, you bring him like a semblance of peace. Right, exactly. Like you're sort of bringing people closure. And I think that that's definitely the case for the mainline story, like with the, um, the Deku scrub and the Goron and stuff. Like these are, you know, people or creatures who died and didn't fulfill their purpose. And so your job is to sort of like take on their bodies in a really like grotesque way. Like, oh my God, when you put the mask on and it just like shrieks in pain. screams. Like, like the Goron one is horrifying with those like teeth. teeth. Like, Ugh. <laughs> but like, right, like you're supposed to be the one to sort of like carry this mantle and like save the people. And it's like extra sad because you can't save the whole world in one go. Like it's like, you save the forest and then you have to reset to the beginning and go save, you know, the snowy village. But the forest has reverted back to being fucked. Like, it just is this kind of, like, constant, sad, almost, like, juggling act in a way. Yeah. I have to say, it's really thoroughly not my kind of game. No, that's totally fair. (laughs) I don't know if it would be my kind of game now, but because it was, like, so ingrained in my DNA of, like, what a game was, I think that a lot of this is, like, nostalgia or sort of like stirring something in me that like has also again informed I think what I've sought out in games ever since and if this were not like one of my first ones I don't know that it would be the case I think that's what I came away from Mm -hmm. it with is like I think this game succeeds because people played it a lot as kids Mm -hmm. and they know what's going on right right like coming to it fresh and being so lost and then having all these stipulations and like difficulties and the game not being intuitive just made me feel like 
very confused and like frustrated. And I'm the sort of player, this is like my failing as a video game player, is if I fuck something up, let's, even if I'm like playing something and this has happened to me so many times as a kid and I like drop my Game Boy <laughs> and your like card slightly ejects or something oh or God, you just, wait, you, you know what I mean? Visceral. <laughs> and like you lose your place and you haven't saved recently. I close my Game Boy, I put my Game Boy away and I don't touch it. Like I'm like yeah. a, I like freak out and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to cool off. I like put myself in timeout. <laughs> Honestly, that's some like time. very self-aware. <laughs> I just get really frustrated. I'm like, oh, I don't want to replay the thing I just did over again right, right now. Right. And it's it's so specific to video gaming. And every time that that happens to me, like it's happened to me in numerous Pokemon games, I put, mm-hmm. I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. I put it down. I want to stop playing. And then it just, I don't pick it up again. And the longer you don't pick something back up, the harder it is right. to get back into it. Because you're like, you don't remember what you were doing in the first right, place. Right. And like, you just get totally lost. So in some ways, this game, because it demands for you to do things over and over again, Mm -hmm. it at least sets you up for the expectation that you have to do that. So you're not like surprised and frustrated and put it down and don't come back to it. But it it was like kind of difficult for me to be like, okay, you're doing this now. Calm down. It's an exploratory thing. You're not going to finish right now. You're not going to finish today. No, you're right. And that I think is a unique frustration, but also... It almost acts as like immersion therapy, I think, like sort of getting back to what I was saying before about anxiety and sort of letting yourself fail. Like, I think that that is something that gives me a lot of agita and anxiety is like feeling like I can't finish something in one go. Like I'm a big cross it off the checklist, like, you know, get shit done. Like, like that is how I sort of have maintained my sense of self and my sense of momentum. Like I am the person who gets shit done. And so I think it's almost it's soothing for me in a sort of arcane, like fucked up way to be able to like cosplay not finishing things, if that makes sense. Like, and again, like who knows, this is very chicken or egg or, you know, grog or chicken or whatever, but like maybe I feel this way because that game was so important to me when I was in this like formative moment mentally. But like, I don't know. I think I I almost like get a small thrill out of being like, I'm not finishing this today. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm very much the same way. I have a friend who's always like, why are you doing errands? How does someone have so many errands to do? I love doing errands. I love tasks. I love chores. I love like activities. I just love every subcategory. (laughs) It's so silly. It's so true. And so so many of the games I love are that way too. Like, you know, I loved Stardew Valley and like Animal Crossing. I played for like 400 hours, you know, and just like, those are literally games about errands. Like those are games about just like, like, um, a friend of mine at The Cut, Katie Haney, wrote this piece about video games as a to-do list you play. And I just thought that that was so smart and really like pathologized a lot of how I feel about these kinds of things. I'm exactly the same way. I always have like multiple to-do lists. There's like to-do mm-hmm. lists for this specific thing. There's to-do lists for <laughs> social media. There's to- to-do lists for the movies I want to watch, the games I want to play. Right. There's Aaron oh God, to do same. this. There's like crafts to-do lists. <laughs> we well, got to compare craft to-do <laughs> No, totally. And like, I also think part of the appeal with games is like, the stakes are whatever you make of them. Like it can feel very, very important in the moment. It can feel very much like, got to get this done. It will feel satisfying. It will give me the, I actually don't know the difference between serotonin and endorphins, but it will give me whichever one of those that completing a task, you know, does. But you can also then, you know, throw down the Game Boy and be like, you know what? Not right now. This is not important. And it like ceases to be hanging over your head in the way that like a real task can't. It's like if I have to pick up a prescription or like call someone back or whatever, like that doesn't disappear just because I like take off my, you know, gaming headset or whatever. But like being able to walk in and out of that is is very appealing to me. Yeah. And I feel like the Bomber's Notebook is a really great to-do list, but it is impossible to parse. It is like the most complicated document known to man. It's like one of those <laughs> bullet journals that has like seven different spreads or whatever. I was I was like, it's nice that they're writing all this down for me. And I don't think I ever actually like, I don't, I couldn't even tell you actually how to get to the Bomber's Notebook on the DS. When you were playing the game, how did it feel like it did it feel so comfortable like you were right back in the same spot or did it still feel like you were kind of scratching off the rust you know what it felt like Persia? it reminded me of like so my parents pretty recently moved out of my childhood home and like this was the town where i grew up like they moved once a street away you know like 
spent 29 years basically thinking of that as home. And it reminds me of what it has felt like. I've, I've only gone back to that town once since they moved out. And it reminds me of that where it's like, okay, like I know where stuff is like, and I know the broad strokes. And in fact, some stuff almost is like surprising how well I remember it, where it's like, oh, duh, like that house on the corner, obviously, but I don't remember until I see it, how well I remember it, if that makes sense, um, which sounds sort of stonery to say, but whatever. Um, but it, it reminded me of that, where it was like, oh, I actually know a lot of the contours and the broad strokes of this game. And in fact, I even know some like very, very tiny nitpicky things. Like I somehow remembered that like, if I went to the stockpot in at 2 p.m. as a Goron, I would be able to get a reservation. Like, like I remembered that all of a sudden. It just came like rushing back to me in a way that I didn't remember. Like, how do I get into Snowhead? Do you know what I mean? Like, so it was interesting sort of seeing what what popped and what didn't. But I, I definitely looked stuff up too. And it's funny because I remember when I was younger and when I was first playing these games, I had the Prima strategy guide, those like huge, like 16 by 20, you know, paperback books or whatever. And I had one for Ocarina of Time. I had one for this. And I just like memorized it. I read it like cover to cover. And it did feel a little like something lost, like going to like, I don't even know, like Zelda dungeon.net or whatever. And like, you know, no shade on those fine people who maintain that resource. But like, it did feel different than being able to like flip to the glossy page of a book and be like, oh, right, like this is the page that tells you how to do this thing. But I will say the one thing that has felt incredibly comfortable, and in fact, even like, really pleasurable has been just the game mechanic, like fighting as Link. Um, also, again, because I really recently played Breath of the Wild, and it's really not that different. Like, obviously, like you're setting things to different buttons and stuff. But just the like, roll, fight, run, like it is all the same. And so like I had no, like I remembered, you know, the mini bosses and the boss of, of Woodfall, for example, the first temple were like difficult and something that I had to like brace myself for and gear up for. And I just like mowed through them because it was just like, no, 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 just like whack him, whack him a lot, you know? <laughs> like So that was nice to sort of be like, okay, I still like, I've got some muscles still in shape. I think this game made me realize that Wind Waker is more of a departure mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. I realized. Because like you said, after playing Breath of the Wild, which funnily enough, I didn't finish because I played like up to the first temple on my brother's Switch mm -hmm. and then had to like get my own version and restarted it. And then I was sharing that Switch with a friend and then I gave her the Switch. So like at this point, I would have had to restarted the game three times and I'm like yeah, sick yeah, of yeah. restarting the game. Reasonable. Getting off that plateau is fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've, you know, I've like, I know it generally. I've gotten partway through it. But playing Majora's Mask reminded me of like the tenants of the Zelda <laughs> franchise. Mm -hmm. I really, I it reminded me like, first of all, like the human just the human townspeople, like the vibe mm -hmm. of the humans in Zelda. And then also, like you said, like the very traditional different, I don't know what you would call them, races, peoples yeah, in races. the world. Yeah. First of all, hanging out with the Deku is so fun. I loved being the Deku scrub. Oh everyone talks down to you and I was like, oh my God, the dog is like trying to beat you up. Like everyone's like, hello, little child. <laughs> I don't know. I really liked that vibe. When you yeah. turn into Link and they're like, you have a sword. You're such a big boy mature and responsible <laughs> like, i i am like demonstrably 12 years old <laughs> like <laughs> i like didn't like that at all i was like no treat me like how you treat the deku yeah <laughs> like a little tiny bitch i mean you haven't gotten here and i don't know if you're gonna keep playing the game but when you become the zora everyone's like basically treating you like because because you're a rock star that's the like the identity of the person that you assume um and everyone like is very like fawning and deferential and like I don't think that like I clocked this when I was younger, but like I think they're like a little horny for you. <laughs> like like you're definitely like this like tall, elegant man with a guitar, and they're sort of like, hello. <laughs> okay, so same vibe for the Zora like and yeah, of, exactly. Of the it's world. Very sleek, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think the vibes definitely persist across the game. Yeah, <laughs> so I think that really like struck me. I was like, oh, weirdly, Breath of the Wild and Majora's Mask have a lot of similarities. Yeah, I think they do. And Ocarina of Time to me is also sort of in that vein. And and I should say too, I didn't really play Twilight Princess, which I know is sort of in this mode as well. But it, I think it was like for like Wii U or something and just like was not over the time when I was playing Zelda games. Um, but Ocarina of Time, if you are frustrated by Majora's Mask, do not play Ocarina of Time. It is so much harder, so much longer. I think at one point when I was playing, I like 
did something wrong because I didn't know I was supposed to do something otherwise and like basically could not complete a temple. Like it there it thereby became impossible for me to complete a temple because I'd like done something in the wrong order and I felt so insane. I was probably like 12 at the time and just like wanted to throw my Nintendo out the window. Like I mean Ocarina of Time is gorgeous and like talk about dark, you know, pathos, but like it 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 really sort of dials I think these particular frustrations up to 11. Yeah. I mean they really made these games like these early games, they made them with the knowledge that kids had no other games to play. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like people are upset about that. They're like, oh, they don't make games like they used to. Like I used to have to like play a game like over and over and over again mm-hmm. and like not know what to do and like be totally stuck. And people like glorify that. Right, right. And I'm like, what? No. <laughs> and you know, it's funny for you say that because like, I totally agree. Like I want a game that tells me how to play it. Like it doesn't have to be easy and it doesn't even have to be always like so fun and, you know, frictionless all the time. But like, I, I do want to be able to have it be a self-contained world. And I think Breath of the Wild solves for that really nicely. Like, I think it sort of gives you this sense that you can like, wander around and explore and like decide you're not going to do something now and come back to it later without making you feel like ooh, like you should have done it in this order like there was like this really specific thing you should have done um and 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 i wonder if that is sort of like the direction that the franchise is going to go in more where it's like you just have a little more leeway and it doesn't have to be like oh well if you didn't talk to someone at 11 a.m on the first day then like you're shit out of luck you know yeah that was like I think one of the most frustrating points I had with Majora's Mask is in the first temple at Woodfall. Mm-hmm. I like got really, really far, like almost to the end mm-hmm. on my first run. And I'd gotten all the fairies. And then I just realized that I didn't have enough time to like get through to the mm. last boss. I was like, I just don't have enough time. I was like, that's fine. Like, I think if I go back in time and do it over again, like I oh, have no. all the things I need to like get there early and like do the last few parts of the dungeon and beat the boss and like not sweat it, not sweat it, mm-hmm. you know, just not be stressed about it. And I left and I came back and I realized I'd lost all the fairies. Uh-huh. When you started saying that, my heart sank. <laughs> oh my God. I will say, I think the fairies are a huge pain in the ass and I always felt this way. Like, fine cool like and the annoying thing is is that the rewards for collecting all of them are so good that you like really kind of have to and then it's just like god damn it like they're just like these little idiots who like got trapped in jars <laughs> there's so <laughs> yeah, many yeah the them. fairies were really a pain point for me and yeah i, I didn't know exactly like i also of course had no idea really what i was going to get so i was like mm-hmm. is it worth it like should i go back and get like, all the unfortunately, fairies again really <laughs> yeah i was it was just so frustrating because i was like thought I had like figured out the game I was like I get it you get Mm -hmm. this far and then you have a path to the dungeon and then and then the next time I did it I got all the fairies and I again ran out of time and I was like what the fuck am I supposed to do I don't want to do this like I said I was like I just don't like playing things over and over again the same thing and I was like what the fuck am I gonna do and then I realized that I was like okay you know what it's like at this point it's a sunk cost But Mm -hmm. I do have all the fairies. I'm not going to make it to the boss and beat the boss in time. So you may as well just, yeah. Right. I was like, so I, and I didn't know. I don't know why I didn't look it up. I was like, can I just go to the fairy fountain, get the thing, whatever it is that they're going to give me, which was like more magic. Mm -hmm. And then like, will that save over hopefully? And so I just like took that gamble, I guess, Mm -hmm. even though it was something I probably could have Googled. I went to the fairy fountain and got the magic and then like, like praying and hoping started Mm -hmm. the time over. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. God, I don't have to get the fairies again. (laughs) And then I just went straight to the boss. I was just like, I couldn't imagine like if I didn't have a guide, Mm -hmm. I would I would have probably had to do that single temple like four or five times. Right, right. (laughs) And I was just like, good on kids in the 2000s who were like, I am committed to playing this game however many times it takes. I wish I had access to like those memories, like because I'm sure that's what I did. Like I'm sure I, well, I I know it because I played literally the whole game over and over again. But even like within that, I'm sure I had to, when I was still first figuring it all out, had to like do stuff over and over. Like the side quest that really stands out in that regard is the Anju and Cafe side quest. Did you get into that one at all? I don't think so. So this is, this is, I think actually maybe my favorite part of the game and it is so weird. And when I describe it, you're going to probably cringe. So basically the, um, the, you know, one of the owners of the stockpot in mm-hmm. the daughter with the red hair, Anju is her name. Um, 
is uh, waiting for her fiance and can't find him. And he's the mayor's son and they can't find him. And they're all just kind of like, where's cafe? Like he's gone. And like, it is such an intricate quest line. You have to like meet her. You have to like get a mask from his mom and she thinks you're an investigator. And then you talk to the girlfriend at like 1130 in the kitchen one night and she gives you a letter to deliver to him. And then you have to follow him. It's like so intricate. And basically it turns out he got transformed by Skull Kid into a child. So he is like this like 10 year old running around trying to hide from like everyone so they don't like know that he is this kid essentially. And like his wedding mask got stolen. Anyway, I'm, I'm sure I'm actually becoming more and more confusing the more I describe this, but all of it is to say it's actually this like really sad, weird love story that like has a lot of just like tiny intricacies and you cannot do the whole thing in one day. Like you just really can't like you have to wait until basically the end of the game in order to like even have all the components but it's so like big and wide-ranging that you do it like I've already probably done the first two-thirds of that side quest like three times in order to like get all the items and get the masks and like even just like get a taste of it like I, I'm just I, I find that the dialogue and the story there is really interesting um and so I'll probably do it three more times before I beat the game this time which is just like so wild to think about yeah but like again I've done it so many times that it almost feels like walking in like a well-trodden path where it's like I know where to go I know what to do like like the sort of trial and error is not there for me anymore which I think probably makes it like infinitely less frustrating than for someone playing the first time that's the thing is this this game just is so much in that pocket of like incredibly frustrating but if you've played this game before Mm -hmm. so comforting and yeah so just like recognizable and so i think it's just like a weird it's like a game that was meant to be nostalgic it's like the perfect game to come out in the 2000s and then re-come out when we were adults. Like, it hit that pocket so well. Funny, Percy, you say that because I almost think it, like, is meant to evoke nostalgia writ large. Like, like when it came out, it's sort of a game about nostalgia. Like, like in a lot of ways, it's sort of, like, trying to get things back to the way they were. And even, like, where it sort of falls, where, like, you are just this, like, strange little traveler from like a parallel world essentially who's just wound up there no one really like tells you how you got there or what the deal is like there's all kinds of like copy pasta and stuff about like you know just like the zelda myth and where does majora's mask fit in and like how does it work in the timeline and all that stuff but like right it's just like it's very lonely and it's very solitary and very like I don't know just like there's a lot of yearning built into it like it is like yeah i, I think the ranch is the other like really sad sweet uh just sort of like aspect of the game um, where eventually like you find out that like you can get in there before the last day and like all their cows have been kidnapped and they are just like devastated. And like, it's just so interesting to to watch these people like lose the same thing over and over again and like try and help them. Like, I, I'm sure there are people who have done this who have basically done like essentially a speed run once they've beat all the temples or like you go through and try and fix the world as much as possible. Like if you beat every boss and like go to the ranch and save it from the, you know, attacks and like, I don't know what, just try and solve as many problems as possible before the end of the three days. Like that, that, you know, only to watch it probably like reset again. Like that feels like almost a a worthy goal. Yeah. In some ways it is nice because like in a normal video game and even in Breath of the Wild, you know, Mm -hmm. like, when they have the like dark moon or whatever it's called where all right, the monsters the respawn yeah. Yeah, the blood moon this game almost makes that make more sense mm, i didn't even think about that because it, sometimes when i play zelda games that's how i feel i'm like i helped this person or like i killed right, this guy right. like why can't the problems stay fixed? fixed yes totally totally and this game in some ways like has that built into it like you're you're gonna solve these things and they are not gonna st- stay fixed and actually you're going to be the one who's making it go back in time right and undoing exactly. the things that you've done in some ways that like works better as like a reason why a video game would like respawn all its issues mm-hmm. the other thing i found really interesting is skull kid as a character yes. and a villain yes. question mark villain question yeah because <laughs> i obviously i haven't gotten far enough in the game to actually know what happens like i actually don't know how the game ends 
honestly, there's like not that much. Okay. Like, like, it, like, like, I would not say this is a terribly villain driven video game. You fight the mask at the end, essentially, like sort of like the embodiment of the mask. You you fight that thing. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I think they do an interesting thing with Skull Kid, which I haven't really seen. Maybe I missed it, but I haven't really seen them do a lot with Ganon mm-hmm. in terms of like make him have a reason for being evil mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is does ganon ever have like a reason or he's just incredible evil? cue i feel like all the gamers are gonna yell at us when i'm like i don't really know like i think he is just evil <laughs> I, I i've personally never seen a reason why he's evil he's always just yeah. evil he yeah. like craves power right skull kid they're like he was bullied you know mm-hmm. he doesn't fit in he's just a trickster he's like acting out like mm-hmm. there's just kind of like a lot more like we feel bad for Skull Kid. Yeah, I feel really bad for Skull Kid. He's so lonely. Like that first little cutscene you see where he's just like shivering in the rain and then the fairies huddle next to him is like so cute. Like, ugh. No, I know. I totally agree. And, and sort of this idea that the mask is the corrupting force. Like it is just a vector for power and for evil and like what otherwise would have been right. Like harmless pranks turn into these like life ruining, disease ridden problems to solve. Yeah. Like, I don't hate Skull Kid. No. Right. It's almost more like this is the evil that is endemic to the world, and he just happens to be, like, the, the catalyst. Sort of, yeah, the catalyst for it at this moment, but, like, it could really be anyone or anything at any time. Yeah. So I was really interested in that, and I think there is some backstory to, like, I saw something online that was, like, he is, like, the souls of, like, lost children in the woods mm. or something. There is some sort of backstory that makes it even sadder Yeah. So, like, what he is as a being. Oh, I will say, um, I love I love the music in this game, and I love the um, even the songs you play on the ocarina or you know whatever instrument you happen to be wielding at the moment. Like I just find so lovely, and like obviously a lot of those carry through from other games, but like just having them all sort of at your disposal like feels really great. Like I love the song of healing, I love the song of soaring. Like they're just like very much like in my in my consciousness. <laughs> yeah, it's like fun to play your in- your little instruments. I know. I love the bongos. The bongos yeah. rule. <laughs> I, I was next to Brendan and I had like just gotten the Goron mask and I was like, I'm playing the drums. <laughs> he was like, what? And I was like, Shh, I keep on messing up this song, but I'm playing the drums. <laughs> Do you, here's a very specific question. Do you try to play them like with the right tempo? Yes, I do. I do. And I've always felt a little dorky for that. I feel like it's like <laughs> choir kid residuals here. <laughs> no, I really respect that. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I forget what the right tempo is supposed yeah. to be. And then, like, I try to guess, and, like, if I get close, I'm pretty excited. (laughs) And wait, so here's, not to, like, get into this too much, but, like, Brendan has played before, correct? Majora's Mask? Yeah. No. Oh, I don't know why I thought he had. Oh, word. Okay, cool. So both of you were sort of, like, coming into this blind. Yeah, I would show him some things. I mean, it was all pretty much new to him. Interesting. Um... Mr. Video Games. Yeah. No, no, no. That's that's always fascinating to me. I feel like it is one of those games where people were either obsessed with it, you know, 15 years ago or just like never touched it. Like, yeah. it, I, I don't know a ton of people who feel neutral toward Majora's Mask. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I see that. It being a sort of mm-hmm. divisive game. Yeah. I, I personally think it is the best Zelda game. I, I just like love what it packs into itself, even though I like so clearly see the glaring issues and like deeply, deeply understand why it is like super not for everyone. Yeah, I think in some ways I because he I mean, uh, you know, he's sitting next to me while I'm like visibly frustrated, like uh, getting right, upset. Right, right, right. Like I, I don't want to lie. I was getting upset playing this video game. No, that's yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> And just like frustrated with myself and like I I would just even the simplest things like I'm jumping from pillar to pillar and I'm like, I can't get it right. I'm running out of time. I'm not going to make it. And like being visibly upset. And he's like, are you upset over a video game? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shut up. Yes. (laughs) I will tell people like I don't want to play hard video games. I'm actually like not really interested in that experience. And I don't want to play particularly like extremely scary or sad or violent video games right no my boy my boyfriend a fellow brendan just started playing celeste which is just like looks gorgeous and like lovely music and is you know so much about mental health and anxiety and all the stuff i care about but seems so goddamn hard yeah. <laughs> i'm like ah, i might watch you like my own personal twitch stream yeah. rather than attempt this myself. right exactly <laughs> yeah there are just some things that don't appeal to me and it's just like it really depends on what you're coming to video games for yeah, totally. And I wouldn't say that I'm trying to challenge myself. <laughs> no, I think that's totally fair. Um, I will say if you are at all interested in like any more like 
just at least like read through some of the like side quest descriptions essentially like 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 the walkthroughs even of what happens because they're just like some or even if you could find like a youtube video some of them are just like so lovely and weird and i think that that's where the like meat of the game really is yeah that that's what i'm like the most excited about honestly is like not doing temples but like completing getting all the masks again sounds really exciting to me yeah i think now that i'm not doing it for the podcast Right, I right. will feel a little bit more relaxed in terms of like, let's just yeah, wander exactly. around town. Right. I guess you sort of had double double timelines, essentially yeah. uh, time limits rather. <laughs> like there's the game one and then having to record at a certain time. I'm just tr- trying to think about how they intended for players originally to like play the game. Because like they don't really tell you that you have to do side quests. No. And, and you don't actually like like. Basically, so what happens is if you get all 23 available masks, you then have access to this, like, incredibly overpowered mask for the final battle. Like, that's kind of the incentive. But frankly, that mask, I think it's called the Fierce Deities Mask or something, um, that makes the last battle so easy as to, like, almost be anticlimactic. So, like, you sort of don't have to. I think that this is sort of their first stab at a game that you could kind of pick and choose, like, what you did, you know, but... It's either you do it or you don't. Like, you know, it's sort of a binary set of choices. Definitely. I'm just like generally interested in becoming part of the Milk Club because I think it's like a silly idea. But like, does the game tell me (laughs) why I should become a member of the Milk Club? No. (laughs) It relies on me sort of being like, I want to be part of the group. It's so funny, too, because like so much of this game is like a little seedy. Like, like all of it's a little sketchy. Like everyone's kind of doing these like back alley deals. And like, again, does not seem to care that you are a literal child and like I don't know there's just a lot of like like just kind of like wheeler dealer stuff going on you know there's always people skulking after dark there's all those stores that only open at like midnight or whatever you know like there's just like a lot of like sketchiness going on in this game that I think is appealing and that I maybe sort of missed when I was a kid or I was just yeah. like it's nighttime so a different store is open and it's like yeah that's because it's a pawn shop selling like stolen goods dude <laughs> yeah you're just like I see like things change right. with the times yeah. and you're like no at nighttime like the cops aren't out as much right, yo <laughs> But yeah, I don't I don't know how much I'll keep playing. That's I'm totally interested incredible. to see myself. I'm interested to discover yeah. what depths I have. And you um, might find yourself like craving it in like a few weeks, being like, huh. I definitely at certain points was was like getting really into it and like feeling good about like figuring out the game a little rhythm, bit and like yeah. getting far and like would fall temple i actually really liked like i felt like i actually didn't have to look at the guide so much to like figure out where mm-hmm. to go and i like you know intuiting pa- i almost called them palaces oh my god no i mean <laughs> listen that could be a whole other episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, i still haven't finished persona anyway um <laughs> i like yeah i like being able to like run through a temple just based off of like what seems right and like figuring it out um i find that like having to look at a guide for every step of a temple which i felt like i needed to do because there's a time limit so there's definitely like the good parts and the bad parts to the game i'm glad you got to play it again yeah this was so wonderful i i I enjoyed it a lot more than i expected to honestly oh really not that i didn't think i would enjoy it but i think i thought i would be like going through the motions of it more maybe or like I think I either thought I would remember way, way more and it would just be sort of like, okay, cool, like get in, get out. Or conversely, that I wouldn't remember anything and it would be like kind of a real chore, honestly, like to like, because I remembered it being difficult. Um, But I think my level of memory has been perfect for it, like enough to to really want to keep going and to still be surprised by it. But like not so much that I'm frustrated. Yeah. Did you have any feelings about it? Because I know you've talked about the game a lot in terms of like mood management or anxiety mm-hmm. and like Obviously, we're all living through sort of <laughs> unprecedented times. And I was wondering if you had any feelings about like its effect on your well-being. You know, I do like being able to solve people's problems. Like that has been, my, again, my best friend has, and I have been talking about this sort of in other terms where she just like, she just helped uh, TNR a feral cat, you know, and like it was like a small thing, but like she felt like she had made the world demonstrably better and in a time when it's very, very, very hard to like, reach out to someone or to fix someone's problems or to even fix your own problems. And so I think I, I I have been sort of using it a little bit like that, like obviously way less noble than rescuing a feral cat. Uh, but like sort of this idea that like I can 
if I'm feeling really like impotent or really sort of like helpless or stymied, like that's kind of when I want to pick it up and just sort of be like, I can just go like solve a little thing right now. Like that, that is something that I can do. And again, I don't think that that's unique to this particular video game, but I think it sort of hits the right, um, it's like the right cocktail of emotions and difficulty and like timing for me. Like I actually really like the three day cycle because it kind of means that I can't binge the game as easily as I often, I think would with other games. Um, like I will often, because I think I want to say if you were doing it on slowed down, a three day cycle is probably like an hour and a half, maybe like maybe two hours. No, it can't even be that long. Um, and that to me is like a good length of a session. And it's nice to just sort of be like, I am playing a video game for this amount of time right now. It almost like, it, you know, in this time when our schedules are just like so amorphous and like it's easy to play something for five hours or six hours. I like just sort of being like, nope, this is my my Majora's Mask time. Yeah. Yeah, it comes to you in little packages. Mm-hmm, exactly. Do you have uh, things that you like to like throw to? Oh, man. Um, so I am a deputy editor at The Goods, which is a uh, vertical of Vox.com that covers consumerism and self-presentation. And we publish lots of very, very fun, interesting, in-depth stories. So check that out. Um, and if you are interested in following me, which fair warning, I literally only post about like video games and articles I've edited and my cat. My Twitter handle is just Alana, A-L-A-N-N-A. Your Twitter handle is just Alana? Yeah, it's from a throwback to my uh, BuzzFeed days when, you know, the sky was the limit and we could get whatever we wanted. (laughs) Like, because you could like take specific names or because you were like so early? I, I think what had happened was we had like a social media head at the time who was just like, really tight with the platforms and like apparently uh, that the Alana username hadn't been used in like years and years so they like they like we're gonna release it back and he was like oh like a lot like Alana do you want it and so I was like yeah <laughs> the fucked up thing is like I should have the Persia username because yeah, there's only, I don't know any other there's only one Persia I've literally ne- never met another Persia I'm gonna see who the Persia is on Twitter yeah I will say it was like definitely more cachet in like 2015 now it's just kind of like oh yeah shit and I sort of forget when I tell people that like it's like oh that's like a little that's a lot people try and get into my account all the time I think presumably so they could take the name and sell it where I'm like more power to you guys like Jesus like no one needs this (laughs) uh at Persia on Twitter has one has six followers and one tweet and the one tweet is from 2008. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that was, I think, what had happened with mine. Um, so maybe if you are if you want to put in the legwork, you could get it. Oh, my God. But I don't know if it's worth it. <laughs> Should I be at Persia? Yeah. <laughs> Your life will change dramatically. <laughs> I mean, they have no profile picture. They have no banner. I'll look into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love to have a project. <laughs> Another thing on my to-do list. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying Eleven again and you think you know someone else who would enjoy it as well, please recommend it to them. And you can get in touch with me at the show's Twitter, Eleven Again Podcast, or on the Discord that Eleven Again shares with a couple of other shows under the network, The Worst Garbage Online. Garbage. Not online.